O God, guide us. Guide us by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth we may find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our text this morning is Psalm 72, verses 8 through 11, a very short text from that psalm. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 72. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. May his foes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations give him service. This is the word of the Lord. 1995. 1995. You know why that year is significant? Gary does. (laughs) That's the last year, 1995, that the Buffalo Bills won the AFC East. 25 years without a division title. But this year, on December 20th of 2020, last year I should say, The Bills beat the Broncos in Denver 48-19 and secured and clinched for themselves the AFC East title. Our own Gary and thousands of other Bills fans rejoiced, and rightly so, for it has been a long wait. Bills fans are loyal fans for sure, right? They don't give up. They're not fair weather fans because, hey, there's no fair weather fans in Buffalo, right? There's nothing, that's for sure. They hung in there. They're diehard fans. They call them the Bills Mafia, and uh, they are there. They show up. And that happened even that, that when they clinched that title. As I said, they played the game in Denver. They returned that Morning, the following morning, to the Niagara International Airport at 2.30 a.m., and guess who was there to greet them on their arrival? The Bills Mafia. Fans were there. You could see the videotape on there. I think one of those people was Gary. I'm not sure. I can't totally make it out, but uh, 2.30 a.m. On a cold December night, they came to that airport to greet their team, to pay homage to them, to render their tribute because they were dedicated fans. Now you're thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with Psalm 72, with our text? Well, there really is a connection, because if you can grasp and get what would make someone do that, what the Bills Mafia did that night, showing up at 2.30 a.m. at the Niagara International Airport to greet their team, well, then that gives you some insight into what's happening here in our text in Psalm 72 this morning. Something very similar is going on. Psalm 72 features a large group of people gathering together in a crowd to root for someone. That's what they're doing. They're rooting for someone. But in the case of Psalm 72, the fans were not rooting for a football team, but rather they were rooting for their king. They were gathering together to pray for their king. They wanted their king to have a victory. They wanted him to go all the way, if you will, to win. They gathered together to root for him. Root for him to win a great 
victory. But what did that mean? What were they really praying for? As, we, as I read those verses, you can see how they're, they're expressed in that context of prayer. May the king have this. May others do that. What was this victory about? How would you know if the king had the victory? How would you know? What were the evidence that the king had won a great victory? Well, there were three things here in this psalm that come forward as the evidence of that victory. Three things. How do you know that the king has gone all the way, has won the victory? Well, first of all, it required territory. It required territory. Verse 8, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That verse is clearly about geographic extension of a kingdom, of expanding the territory. The people were praying that the king would have a victory. and What that meant was that the king would have worldwide dominion from sea to sea. You know, we have it in our own uh, expression of America the Beautiful, right? From sea to sea, this idea of an expansive worldwide dominion. That's what victory required, territory. The second thing it required, according to the prayer of the psalmist, was tractableness. Tractableness. That's a big fancy word. What does that mean? Well, the freedictionary.com defines tractableness as the quality or state of willingly carrying out the wishes of others, acquiescence, amenability, compliance, deference, obedience, submission. You get the picture. I had to use that big word because it fits with my alliteration of my my three T's here. The first one was territory. This one is tractableness. And that really means that one of the ways you know the king has won this victory, that he has gone all the way, is that his foes, they bow down and submit to his rule. They acknowledge him as their king. They become tractable to his rule. And you see that in verse 9 in the prayer, right? May. May his foes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Right? That is a picture of tractableness, of bowing before the king, that his opponents would bow down before him and subjugate themselves to his rule. That's what they were rooting for. That's what victory was. It required territory. Worldwide dominion, it required tractableness, this submission of will to the king. And the third thing it required was tribute. Tribute. Verses 10 and 11. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. And here's where the prayer goes beyond mere subjugation. It wasn't simply to put a boot on someone's neck and make them lick the dust. It was the idea that these foes, these uh, defeated enemies, would become wholehearted and willing subjects of the king. That they wouldn't just do it out of tyranny, but that they would do it out of a love for this king, of a recognition that his rule was great and worthy to be observed and obeyed. And so the way they showed that was not just by bowing down, not just by licking the dust, but by bringing gifts, by giving out of their treasury to this king, these other kings, these foreign kings. The way they showed their allegiance was by paying him tribute. 
And really, it is this third one that is the ultimate one. It is the clear indication of utter and total victory, the Super Bowl, if you will, of going all the way that these other kings, foreign kings, would come and pay tribute, give their full, wholehearted allegiance to the king. This is what the people were praying for. This is what they were rooting for. They prayed that their king would expand his territory, that his foes would become tractable to his rule, and that they would come forward, these foreign kings, and pay tribute to their king. They were rooting for that. And by that prayer, by rendering and offering up that prayer together, they were also showing at the very same time their own personal allegiance to the king. By rooting for him, by praying for these things, they too were showing their allegiance to him, just like those fans that showed up at 2.30 a.m. at the Niagara International Airport. That's what victory was. 25 years. That is indeed a long wait for those Bills fans. Do you know how long those ancient Israelites had to wait? Those who were praying in Psalm 72, do you know how long they waited to have their prayers answered? A lot longer. About a thousand years longer. Yes, David was a great king. But David could not fill the shoes of what is prayed for here, right? He never realized that level of dominion. He did not go all the way. Solomon, yes, Solomon too was a great king. And yes, the Queen of Sheba brought gifts to him, paid tribute, right? He had an amazing amount of success, but he too could not go all the way. He could not fill the shoes of these words and prayers of the ancient Israelites in Psalm 72. Neither David nor Solomon achieved that victory prayed for here the realization of that victory, or perhaps better to say, the inauguration of the realization of that victory would take a thousand years to come to fruition. A thousand years. Approximately 1,000 years later, a group of Gentile astrologers, foreigners, magi, Scientists, perhaps, we could call them. Or as the legend and the hymn has it, we could call them kings. They saw something in the sky. They saw his star at its rising. And these Gentiles, they dropped everything. They dropped everything, and they began a hard journey to follow that star. That journey that took them to Jerusalem and ultimately to Bethlehem to find the child, the one born king of the Jews. And Matthew 2 tells us that story. It tells us that account of these magi, these astrologers, these scientists who came to pay this king homage. And when they entered the house in Bethlehem, what did they do? They knelt down before this child, and they did just that. They paid him homage, and then they paid him tribute. They paid him tribute. Opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Beloved, this is Epiphany Sunday. This is a day upon which the church liturgically recognizes and remembers the manifestation of King Jesus to the Gentiles. And Psalm 72 is part of the lectionary readings for this Sunday, as is Matthew chapter 2, which contains the story of the wise men, the magi bearing gifts, traveling from afar and paying homage to Jesus. And these two texts, Psalm 72 and Matthew 2, they're linked together. They're intertextually linked together. There are echoes of Psalm 72 resounding in Matthew chapter 2. You could argue, and I would argue, that Matthew 2 is the answer to the prayers of the ancient Israelites in Psalm 72, or at least the beginning of that answer being revealed as representatives come from afar, from foreign territories to Jerusalem. There they display their tractableness to this king. They knelt down and they licked the dust, and then they render their tribute to King Jesus, to the true king of the world. They showed up. And they rooted for this king. And in that sense, they were not so different than the Bills Mafia showing up at the airport. They had an allegiance to something. They believed in something. And they committed their lives to something. And I think it's in that imagery. It's in that imagery of allegiance that we find here the challenge of epiphany for us. For us here in the 21st century, for us here at RCRC, that challenge is there in the ancient prayers of the Israelites in Psalm 72. That challenge is there in the actions and sacrifices of the Magi there in Matthew chapter 2. It's the challenge of allegiance, of allegiance to the one born King of the Jews. And I think that challenge is apropos for our moment. It's something good for us. We Christians here in this very moment, beginning this new year of 2021, right now in the midst of this pandemic, this is a good challenge for us to consider. Because, beloved, our religious allegiance is being tested, isn't it? It's being tested. On December 23rd, Michael Brandon uh, Dougherty wrote a piece in the National Review, a piece entitled, The Lonely Church This Christmas. And in that article, he reflected on what the pandemic has done to the church. And he wrote of his own personal experience of returning to in-person worship in the church that he attends. He writes honestly about that experience. He first notes the consolations of it, of going back into the building. He writes of the consolations of the building itself. Those familiar surroundings, seeing people's faces again. Of the act of communal worship itself, of being part of that in person. But then he writes about the depressing aspects of that experience. He notes having to see the pastor wearing a face shield or a mask. The scant number of people present in the sanctuary. 
the restrictions there were on singing, the canceling of the coffee hour. He had mixed feelings. And then he gave voice to a fear, a fear that every pastor has right now, to be totally honest with you. And this is what he wrote about that fear. He wrote this in that article. I'm afraid that the post-pandemic world is one where many of us will be out of the healthy habits of socializing and the healthy habits of religion, too. For much of the pandemic, my connection to the actual church is just the automated email informing me of the automatic debit transaction, my contribution for the week. You see his point, don't you? It's a point we all get, right? I mean, everyone in this sanctuary this morning, you get what he's saying. All of you watching from home this morning, worshiping with us, you get what he is saying. We all get it. Church is not what it once was. Whether you're here or whether you're at home, you're all getting half a loaf, right? It's not quite what it was. We all get it. And that reality raises this question, right? It raises this question about, will they come back to church? How long can people go? How long can they stick it out? Can we go another six months like this? Can we go another nine months like this? And those are all valid questions, and I don't have answers to them. I don't know. I don't know. here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. I know that those here in this sanctuary, and I know those who are worshiping with us faithfully at home, I know you have not given up because you're showing up. You're showing up in your own way. Whether at home or here, you're showing up. You have persevered this long. You have hung in there. And why is that? Is it because you're loyal to your congregation? Well, perhaps that's part of it. Is it because you're loyal to one another? Well, I'm certain that that's part of it as well. But I think it goes deeper than that. Ultimately, I think you're all hanging in there because you're loyal to one individual. One person, one king, that you have allegiance to Jesus Christ. You have allegiance to him. And that means you show up. Like the Bills Mafia at the airport at 2.30 a.m. Whether you're here in the sanctuary, whether you're watching at home, you're showing up each and every week because you love and serve Jesus Christ. And no virus will change that. No edict of the government will change that. That is an act of your own personal will and allegiance, your own commitment. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to thank you for your willingness to stay in there, hang in there, show up. And I want to encourage you to persevere in that as we enter this year, whether it be online, whether it be in person, they're both the same. You're showing up every week. Because you see, by doing so, you demonstrate your allegiance to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords, that you have given Him the territory of your heart and your life 
that you have rendered tractableness to his rule, right? You have subjugated yourself to his kingship, that you have come to pay him tribute with your time and your talent and your treasure, like those kings who came bearing gifts. So you come every Lord's Day. You show up this Epiphany morning, join with those who prayed that Psalm 72, that prayer of the ancient Israelites. Join the sacrificial journey of the Magi. Pray for the success of your king. And with your life, demonstrate your allegiance to him. You do that by showing up, by worshiping and honoring your king. So let's show up. Let's show up in 2021 in new and profound ways. Our God is powerful. He is king. Let's pray for his victory. Let's show up at the airport.